Um, this is a reading from Mark 11, 1 through 11. Just one minute so they can get up on the screen. Mark 11, 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. May God, may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot of Ephraim and the war horse of Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from river to the ends of the earth. It is from Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. And it is a prophecy that was spoken about the very event that we are about to look at here and the triumphal entry of, entry of King Jesus coming into Jerusalem. These were words that were spoken and penned 500 years prior. As you know, a, a, a prophet is somebody who is a mouthpiece of proclaiming the future events that are to come. He, he is one who utters divine-inspired Revelation. This is more than a prediction. This is a supernatural ability to be able to proclaim what God has set forth in the future. Jesus fulfills this prophecy. 
by the way he enters into Jerusalem. He doesn't enter into Jerusalem like all of the other pilgrims who would have entered in on foot. In fact, we only ever see Jesus walking on foot. He never rides a donkey or, or any other animal. Yet here he specifically sends out disciples to get, to get him this, this donkey specifically to fulfill this prophecy. Now, the quick glance, I guess that isn't that amazing, but let's stay here for a second. So that we might drink in how absolutely glorious this is. What are the odds of somebody fulfilling, living their life out in a way that was proclaimed 500 years before they were born? You ever wonder that? Peter Stoner did. Peter Stoner is a, was a celebrated mathematician in the 80s. And as he was reading the Bible and he was familiar with the Old Testament, he was thinking, man, uh, what are the scientific mathematical odds of somebody to do this? If Jesus wanted to do this, if Jesus was born and just read the Old Testament and said, okay, let me try to, let me try to, to do this on purpose... What would be the odds? So he ran the numbers. First he ran enough numbers on eight. What are the odds of fulfilling eight of the Old Testament prophecies? The odds are one in ten seventeen, which means that's one it's one in a one with seventeen zeros after it. Not impressed? I mean, <laughs> that's mind-blowing. Eight. Eight prophecies. One in, you're better off playing a lottery. I mean, that is an incredibly, not a good chance. So then he ran the numbers on 48 prophecies. What would be the, what it would be, if he fulfilled 48 prophecies, what are the, the, the odds on that? One in 10, 157. So again, it's a one in one with 157 zeros at the end of it. These numbers do have a name, by the way. I just can't pronounce them or remember them. Trillion billions? I mean, just beyond. 48 prophecies. And Jesus Christ fulfilled over 350 prophecies. It's encouraging if you're a Christian because it's just one more evidence, one more thing that we can stand on on reason. There is a reason why we believe. There's a reason for our faith. Now, now before the death and resurrection, this is what the, the Israel was waiting for. They were waiting for these prophecies to be fulfilled. They were waiting 500 years for these prophecies to be fulfilled. This would have been a part of their daily prayer. Their yearning, their longing for the Messiah to come. The Messiah that was spoken in the years of past by the great prophets of God. They have a, an opposite problem with Jesus than, than we do. See, they had no problem 
believing that Jesus Christ, one was coming as the Messiah, the one that would be the Son of God, the one that would come as God in the flesh. They had been waiting for that. What they missed out on is that he was to come in humility and suffer and die. That is their stumbling block. On the other end, on the other side of that event, here now, many, or really all of us, and all of America doesn't have any problem with the fact that Jesus died on the cross. I mean, that's never argued or debated. Well, it is for some people. Muslims don't believe he died on the cross. But, but most people are okay with the fact that he died. What they struggle with is that he was the Messiah. That he was actually God in the flesh. But they missed it. I mean, this, this prophecy speaks of Jesus being king. That they understood. But it also tells us that he is coming humble with peace. And he is cutting off the war horse and the battle bow. And, and they were expecting, and even as they sing praises as they're about to see Hosanna in the highest, they, they were exalting him not as a heavenly king, somebody to bring them into salvation, but rather to save them from the oppression of the Romans, a worldly king. They expected this Jesus to come to return to bring them to glory. And it caused them to miss it. It caused them to completely miss it. And then this third thing that this prophecy says is that he was not going to be just a king for Israel, but for all of the world. So we get to see here, experience this morning, a prophecy being fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Things have changed, and things will be completely different from here on out in the book of Mark. As we've been reading up the first ten chapters, we're about a hidden Messiah. A quiet Messiah. But now, as we hit chapter 11, this is the last week of Jesus' life. Mark spends a lot of time in the last week, the events leading up to that death and resurrection. But Jesus has now become unveiled. If you remember last week with, the, with Bartimaeus, he shouts out, uh, you know, son, son of David, he shouts out this messianic title towards Jesus, and Jesus doesn't flinch. Every time up to that, he would have been hushing this guy. Shh! He quiets the demons, and, and even when his disciples discover that he is the Messiah, he says, make sure you don't tell anybody. But now that is all over with. He is now walking in, and he is going to come into Jerusalem, not as a fellow pilgrim, but as the king. And so as they get to, they drew near Jerusalem, they're at Bethpage and, and Bethany, which is like, I mean, like Jerusalem's like right there. It's the descend one more hill, and they're in Jerusalem. And he pauses. And he gathers two of his disciples. Mark doesn't tell us which two. Two of his disciples. And he tells them, listen, go on to, see that village right there? Go in there, and as soon as you get in there, you're going to find a, a donkey that nobody's ever sat on, tied up. I want you to untie it and bring it back here. And if anybody says anything to you, tell them that the Lord has use for it. And that I will return it when I'm done. <laughs> now put yourself in... 
Well, let's put it this way. Let's just say I said to you now, I said, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go over into New Paltz, okay? And as soon as you hit New Paltz, you're going to see a yellow house there on the right, and there's going to be a bike, a mountain bike, tied up on the front porch. Okay, untie it and bring it back to me. And if anybody says anything, it's okay. Just tell them Pastor Jake needs it, and I'll return it when I'm done. How well do you think that would go? First of all, I don't recommend doing that. <laughs> You'll end up in jail. I promise you. <laughs> but this is what they were faced. I mean, Jesus is saying, go get this donkey. See, Mark has been, not been bashful about showing the, the difficulties of the disciples. I mean, they've been fumbling and bumbling this whole time. Here is one time, though, however, we can look on to the disciples and ask ourselves, are we following Jesus with this much faith and trust? I mean, it took an awful lot of faith and trust in Jesus to walk into the, just even knowing where the donkey was. How did Jesus know where the donkey was? Here he is exposing his sovereignty, his lordship, his godlikeness. I was discouraged personally as I studied this passage this week, and all of the commentators, commentators who I respect, tried to kind of excuse this as saying, well, Jesus has been to Jerusalem before, he's been here before, he probably set this up in advance. We can't see that in here. We can't assume that. And I started to wonder, like, why are we making excuses for this? This man told the wind and the sea to be quiet and it obeyed. He knows the hearts of men. He just predicted three times how you would die. Can anybody in here predict how they're going to die? So, so for him to, to have this supernatural understanding that there's this donkey here, it's incredible. So imagine being with those two disciples going into this town and you see the donkey. It's like, wow, there it is. He was right. How cool is that? Have we had those experiences in life where we're just kind of walking in faith? We have this, this inspiration and we're kind of going, I don't know if any of this is going to really work out. And, and all of a sudden we just see God everywhere in all of it. And it's really unexplainable. And it's just, it makes you fall so much more in love with God. It's just how incredible He is. That what He says is all the time. Without any exception. Even when our finite brains and minds just can't fathom how, it doesn't matter. If he says it, it is. And so they've got this donkey. And, and if you look at verses 2 and 3, verses 4 and 5 correspond. Everything that he said is exactly what happened to the letter. He, he sends them out, go into the village, and then it says, so they went into the village. Uh, and then it says, you're going to find a donkey. And then he, they said they found a donkey. And it was tied up, and they said that it was tied up, so they untied it. And then he said, if somebody says something, and somebody did say something, and then he said, say this, and they said that. I mean, it's exactly the way God had designed it and planned it. And by the way, there's a huge difference as we, as we go into this world, as we do things, when we do them in our own name, or if we do them in the name of God. That was the power there. It would have been totally different if the disciples said, we need the donkey. No go. You're not getting the donkey. But, but they weren't there on their own authority. They weren't there on their own power. They were there on the power and the authority 
of God. This is clearly showing his kingship. Do you see him as king? He stands there and sends out people to gain property that doesn't belong to him because he has rightful use to it. Back then, kings could borrow or take whatever they wanted. Nobody could say anything. And when they were questioned, who wants this? It is the king who wants it. They have no problem with it. He is exemplifying his kingdom, his kingness right here. And he's allowing his, his disciples to experience that. It is only through faith that we experience the kingship of God. So in verse 7 it says, And they brought the colt to Jesus. And they threw cloaks over it and he sat on it. So they didn't have a saddle. So they used cloaks as a saddle. And in verse 8, And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And, they were, they, and those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So here is a kingly entrance. Now, kings at this point in time would have rode in on war stallions. But we see Jesus Christ as a, on a donkey, and this is to fulfill the prophecy that he comes humble on a donkey. This is also the, Messianic, the, the, the title king or son of David. And when David began to rule, his, when David's son began to rule, he rode in on a donkey. And he's starting to piece all of these things together to show to witness that he is the, the king of David. And so he's coming in, and they're, they're not even letting the donkeys touch ground. They're throwing their cloaks and, and palm leaves on the ground, and they're before him so that the donkey doesn't ever touch the ground. In this honor and this praise of the king that is coming in, this is the way a king would have entered after a victorious battle. Or it's the way he would have entered if he was entering into one of his cities. This is Jesus' city. It's Jerusalem. It belongs to him. Then they're screaming, Hosanna. Blessed is he who the one that comes in the world. Hosanna means save. Save now. Please save now. That's what that means. But it's also used as a shout of praise. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now this is this was Passover. So there are people, pilgrims, walking into Jerusalem from all over the place. Hundreds of people. And they would have been saying this. They're not saying this just because Jesus is there. This is what they would have said every year at Passover. Hosanna! Blessed is the he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed pilgrim. They're blessing each other. Blessing fellow pilgrims because they're coming in the name of the Lord. This is all what would have taken place. But verse 10 changes things. This is also, by the way, a quote from Psalm 118. They're singing Psalm 118. But verse 10, all of a sudden, they depart from Psalm 118 and they add their own blessing. Blessing is the king, their blessing is the coming of the kingdom of our father David. 
Hosanna in the highest. So here, some of these guys, and remember, this isn't the villagers of Jerusalem coming out doing this. This is his followers, his disciples, and all of his followers that have been with him for however long they've been with him. You know, we know that uh, Bartimaeus just joined. So Bartimaeus would have been part of this. But a lot of those people recognized him again as the worldly king, the king that was going to come to bring them to glory. And so that's why they're excited. They're thinking that their oppression from the, Rome, from the Romans is almost over. Here is our king. Some of these people, a week later, will have a different shout. Some of these people who are shouting at the top of their lungs, bless this man, in a week, are going to yell at the top of their lungs, Crucify this man. Crucify this man. Not all of them, but some of them. Now Luke tells us at this time, the people are coming out, they're taking notice, and there's Pharisees there. And they notice these people, Jesus' followers, not treating him like a, a rabbi. They're treating him like a king. They're treating him like he's God. And so they say to Jesus, rebuke them. How could you sit there and let them treat you like God? And Jesus says, even if they were silent, these rocks would be screaming my name in praise. That all of creation could not keep silent at this point about who Jesus Christ is as he ascends into Jerusalem for the final time and the week that is to come. Luke also tells us something else. He says as, he's, as this is taking place, they're descending down the hill, there's a spot where you can actually see the city of Jerusalem. It opens up and you can see the city of Jerusalem. And so all of these people are praising him. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, son of David. They're laying down the cloaks. He's on the donkey. And he sees Jerusalem. And Luke tells us when he sees Jerusalem, he begins to weep. And it doesn't, the word there isn't like silently cry, tears coming down his, no, it is weep loud. Wailing. Deep pain. Distraught. And it shows us, it shows us how Jesus feels, how our Lord feels for those who remain blind. For the lost. Oh, he says, oh, Jerusalem, if you just would have believed. If you just would have believed.
It's so important that we understand this. Because it's easy for our hearts to put ourselves back into the center of our lives and use Jesus to glorify us. Even as Christians. There are theologies, there are preachers this morning preaching a prosperity gospel. And the whole message is Jesus is there to bless you. And it makes Jesus weep. They've missed it. Jesus has come primarily to save us from our sin. You understand, without Jesus Christ, each and every one of us deserves and will be confronted with the wrath of God. The righteous, holy wrath of God. He hasn't come to glorify us. Jesus doesn't come and exist in my life for somebody that I can go to for a little help when I need it. Somebody that can kind of go before me and clear away the difficulties in my life that I can live a carefree life without any worries or difficulty. This is a wonderful reminder to keep our hearts in check, to realize first and foremost who Jesus Christ really is, to not miss it, to not be like the Pharisees, to not be like Israel, who are seeking only for their own glorification, only for their own ease of life. He came to give his life for these people, and they just completely miss it. And the result is the absolute destruction of their temple. And the dispersing of their people. If you and I miss this, the result is death. Wrath of God. And he entered the He entered Jerusalem, it says in verse 11. And he went into the temple. And he had a a look around at everything. And it was very late, and he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Can you... I mean, verse 11. What's the temple? The temple is what? The dwelling place of God. This is the Holy of Holies. It doesn't get any more holy or close to God than this. This is where God sits and stays. And, 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 and has fellowship with his people. And he walked through the front door. And nobody said a word. Completely missed it. Imagine Jesus walking into the temple. Do we get this picture in our head what just happened here? God is here. And it's late. And so they're wrapping up their stations. Don't recognize him. Don't care that he's there. Certainly don't care that they're using his house as a place for personal profit. Just don't care. And it says that he looked around. The the word there is that he took diligent inventory. He didn't just glance. He looked at every 
inch of that place. Every vendor, every table, every sign, every person. He looked. He drank it all in. He examined all of it. He was in their midst. In that time. That would have been the time to repent. That was still Sunday. That was the time to repent. That was the time to recognize who he was. Because he's coming back tomorrow. And when he comes back tomorrow, he is not going to come quiet and humble. He is coming with authority. This is the time. Now is the time to recognize who Jesus Christ really is. To see our need for him and to repent. Now is the time because he's he's coming back. And he's not riding a donkey when he comes back. He's not coming in humility when he comes back. The time of repentance will be over when he comes back. He's coming back as king in full authority. And there will be tables flipped and rebukes to be had. But for now, he looks around. He takes that inventory. And then he goes out and he he sleeps, he stays in Bethany. Jerusalem, the temple, had no place for God to lay his head. He must go outside and lay his head in Bethany. So how blessed are we this morning? As we hear this, as we read this passage, to be reminded who our king is and what he has done and why he has done it. Amen? It isn't that we don't go to him for our temporal needs. It isn't that we don't rely on him. But how many times has our shake, our faith been shaken because he hasn't glorified us? Let's make sure that we examine our heart and ensure that first and foremost we are seeking to live lives that glorify him. With everything that we have, if I must suffer to glorify you, it is better than living a life of riches and comfort. Amen? Because he is everything. He is the king. We are called to live for the king. And to know and to realize and to be on our our hearts the, the same heart of Christ as we know people who have not recognized Jesus. You know, there's variations of blindness. There are those who can't see at all. We have experienced that. And then we experienced the guy that, that couldn't see and Jesus healed and he could kind of see. There's those people in our lives. And this is where a lot of his followers were. And then there's guys like Bartimaeus where all at once they see And our hearts need to be consistently finding opportunities to proclaim and to urge with our loved ones and our neighbors that right now, Jesus Christ is weeping over you. Because you're blind. 
You can't see the offense that you are to the Creator. And you can't see the wrath that is coming. Israel thought this king would return them to glory. That they would be in power. How many today in the United States of America think that when they die they're returning to glory? And they're not. They're not. There's nothing more important than the gospel. There's nothing more important than Jesus being on this donkey, coming into Jerusalem, and going into his temple. The events that are going to take place over the next several weeks as we walk through the remainder of the book of Mark are the most important events in history, to say the least. And it will serve for us a wonderful reminder of what it is that we're saved from and that the cost that was paid so that we might be saved. So blessed are we. Praise God that we can see. Amen? And let's pray. Let's not stop praying and weeping and pleading with those who do not see. Heavenly Father, King Jesus, God, we see you as King. Not the King that comes to make my life easier, to glorify me, Father, but the King that comes to give himself up that I might have right standing with, with the Father. I don't... You've got to be honest. That kind of love, I have a hard time grasping that at times. I have a hard time understanding the fullness of that love. Just when I think I, I kind of get the gospel... I read more scripture and I see deeper into your love and what it is you did and then I'm right back to just being confused. It is a love that only you could have provided. How important it is for me to meditate over and over, drink in and experience the gospel. Not just the gospel that once saved me, but the gospel that sustains me and the gospel that grows me more in righteousness and holiness and like you and like somebody who doesn't live in this world but lives in the kingdom. Without this gospel, there is no salvation and there is no sanctification. You have set me free from my sin. I'm no longer bound to that. Slave to Satan. But I can walk in righteousness and glory. But I can do so only by your power and your love and your mercy. And you have the authority to do all of this. Because you are the king. In Jesus' name, amen.